I have a question. How many of you just really love Easter? Yeah, yeah, it's like the Sunday of Sundays, right? It's like the Super Bowl, if there were a Super Bowl of, a, of the church, right? Um, and the reason I think that we like Sundays so much is because we already know what we're going to talk about, right? No surprises. It is we know what we're going to talk about. I, I absolutely love Easter because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and the resurrection is the thing that points us to the answer to a question, which I believe is probably most likely the most important question of your entire life. It's a question that everyone should, should ask. It's something that everyone should wrestle to the ground. And it's just simply this question, who is Jesus? Who, who is Jesus to me? It's the resurrection it's the resurrection that, that, that really solidified and convinced Jesus' first century followers that he was indeed the son of God. It, and, and in this, the resurrection has been the thing that has been convincing people ever since. And I, I, think, that, I think that you should know. I think you should know that we don't believe Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible told us so. I, I want you to know that it's not because the Bible to, told us so. It's way, way, way better than that. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because of people like Matthew who wrote down his account. And we read in the Gospel of Matthew for Luke that wrote down an orderly and such detailed account of what happened with this Jesus from Nazareth. We, from Mark, who wrote down what Peter had told him for James. And let me ask you a question. How many of you, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God? Some of you are like, my brother is still trying to convince me that he's the son, <laughs> right? But here's the thing. James not only understood and believed that his brother was the son of God. Now, he didn't believe it while Jesus was doing his ministry, while Jesus was teaching through the countryside. It was this, the resurrection, the fact that Jesus rose from the grave that solidified that belief for James. And James, as a result, led a church. All of these guys, all of these guys, they recorded what they saw. They recorded what they saw and what they heard while Jesus was doing ministry, while they were walking alongside him. And they collected these accounts over time. They collected these accounts. They protected them. Did you know there was a time where the writings of people that were followers of the way were piled on piles and burned? They protected these copies with their lives. And those copies were later then taken and bound into an account, into a volume that we call the Bible, right? This book was just a series of letters and accounts of written down by people who saw. And it's because of their testimony, because they knew that the resurrection was true, that these letters made it out of the first century into the second, third, and into 2,000 plus years later. That's amazing. They collected it. 
And eventually it was bound and wrapped. And it's important for us to know this. Because truly, the story of Jesus is not worth telling apart from the resurrection. Because truly, without the resurrection, Jesus is just another rabbi who went off his rocker, a rogue rabbi saying all kinds of things, believing that he was something that he wasn't. Without the resurrection, that's the category we put him in. Those who were closest to Jesus, those that were closest to the action, they were honest. And in the moment as we read these accounts, as, as we go through and we read what happened in the details around the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, we will see that they understood that they thought that dead people would do what dead people usually do because nobody expected nobody. There wasn't this group of people standing outside the tomb counting down from 10, 9, 8, cue the sun. Angels on ready, let's go, 5, 4. There was not anything, no expectation there. His closest followers, the ones that had walked with him for so long, they had gone into hiding. And they were trying to figure out what in the world do we do next? We know that John was a witness of both the crucifixion and the resurrection. And he wrote a detailed account of each one. But he, like the others, he didn't expect either the crucifixion or the resurrection. He was thinking about what happened on that on that beginning of the week where he expected a king, the triumphal entry, everyone watching and seeing the Messiah finally come and make things right because Lazarus, that whole thing with Lazarus, he'd been raised from the dead and there was so much momentum, there was so much increase, there were so many more followers, so many more people putting their faith in him that they expected great things. In fact, many, many believed in him. As we found out last week, there were too many that believed in him. And it was a threat. It was such a threat to a specific group of people. So Jesus' enemies, the religious, the righteous, they plotted. They plotted to arrest him while he was in Jerusalem over the Passover. And they had interspersed through the crowd spies. And, and as we find out, there were people even in the ranks of those who were closest to Jesus that had the ear of those who felt that they knew the very movements of God. And all these expected fans, as they were filling Jerusalem, the crowds arrived, Jesus arrived, and they were chanting his name. And they declaring him king. But days later, Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, with, with the 12 apostles. And in this meal, he, he inaugurates, he, he lets out this, this new brand, a, a brand new covenant. Jesus, as he's speaking with them, for these young Jewish men that had followed him so many places, they had been raised knowing what the Torah had to say. 
They knew what the prophet Jeremiah had declared, that this time would come. There would be a time, there would be a day. There would be a time where there would be a brand new covenant. And Jesus declared that this was the time. But what he said about this covenant that kind of pushed them back a little bit is that he said this covenant, it would be established in his blood. This covenant that he has made, it wouldn't just be for a small group of people, it would be for the whole world. And this covenant, the terms of it were so simple. It was so uniquely simple that the terms of this new covenant were wrapped in this new command, which was to love one another as I have loved you. This was to be the trademark, the brand, the way in which this new movement was known was by the love that they had for one another. The apostles, they thought that Jesus was about to declare himself king. They had no idea. They didn't know that he would soon be betrayed. Jesus would be arrested and he would be taken to the high priest. And as he stood before the high priest, he would be falsely accused. He would be beaten and later then taken to Pilate so the Romans could take care of this guy once for all. And after talking to Jesus, Pilate said, I don't have any reason to charge this man. He decides, though, I cannot bear what this crowd is doing. So he decides, maybe to appease them, I'll have him flogged thinking, maybe if I do this much, the people will change their minds and I will not have to do what they're calling for. Maybe they change their minds about wanting them executed. But after the flogging, the people still insist. They insist that Pilate must have this man crucified. And John, John, he was there to see it all. And here's what he said. John 19, verse 16. So they, that's the soldiers, they took Jesus and they went out. And Jesus, bearing his cross, went to the place called the place of the skull. And there's no more detail given because there was no more detail needed. People knew why people were taken to the place of the skull. And there they crucified him. They crucified him with two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. And John, as, as he's there looking up at the Messiah, the one that he had followed, his teacher, looking up at the cross, standing there next to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus says words to John. He tells, it, tells him, John, Mary is now your mother. And you, John, are now her son. He says, Jesus says, take care. Take care of my mom. Then Jesus speaks his last words. He says, it is finished. And John recalls that Jesus bowed his head. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
and maybe in a, in a moment, John, John kind of pauses and he reflects and, and he's about to make a statement, a statement that, that I believe is in there for the future generations, for, for me, for you, for, for all of us. And John tells us this, he says, he who has born, he who saw it has borne witness and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth. It's as if John is reaching out across the ages and he's, he's putting our, a hand on our shoulder. He's looking you in the eyes. He's steadying you. And he says, listen, I know that I'm telling you the truth and this testimony is true so that you, so that you may believe. To that we say, well, God, well, John, that's pretty good so far. We're, we're pretty sure that Rome was pretty good at this crucifixion thing. They were pretty good at taking criminals, people that had gone against the things that are lawful and abiding. We, we're pretty sure that we're right there with you, that they crucified a wannabe king. Absolutely, we're there. We believe you. To which John would respond, no, not that part. I, I, I don't need you to believe that part is true. What, what happened next? The thing that happened next is what you're going to have a hard time understanding, hard time believing. What happened afterwards? What happened after all this is so different? Listen, you don't honor You, you don't honor somebody that has died a criminal. You, you don't do that. You don't honor a man the way that they honored this one. What they were about to do, you're not going to believe. After this, John said, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Guys, this wasn't normal. There were no tombs hewn out of a, out of a hillside for someone who had been crucified. This wasn't normal. Perhaps Pilate knew, though, how great of a man Jesus truly, truly was. And so Pilate gave permission, and they took away his body. And Nicodemus, you guys remember Nicodemus? He had earlier come to Jesus at night. He had earlier, Nicodemus, the leader of the religious. He, he had come because he saw what Jesus had done. He had witnessed firsthand some of the things that he, that he had he'd done, the miracles, and he had heard the words that he spoke, and he thought, maybe, maybe this man is exactly who we think he might be. If you want to learn more about Nicodemus, look at John chapter 3, and you'll find that there. But Nicodemus, he came He came bearing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. 75 pounds, because here's what he expected. Nicodemus expected this man who was dead to stay dead. So he brought everything that he needed to do the preparation of the body. And so they took the body of Jesus, and they bound it with cloths, and with the spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews. Nicodemus was there. 
He had brought the things to anoint, to, to wrap, to preserve, to show honor to the body of, of Christ. Joseph of Arimathea was there. He provided the tomb. And some of the others, we don't know exactly who, but they took care to prepare him, to prepare the body before the Sabbath began at sundown. Now John says, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And I think this is important. And sometimes you just kind of read right past it. But this is a new tomb. A brand new tomb with no bodies inside it, which meant that you didn't even have to mess with taking your shoes off to do the counting, okay? It's one. Yeah, we're done. It's, there's one body that we've placed in this one tomb. One body being prepared, that's all. And as the Jewish day of preparation was coming, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there, they did as they could, and we don't know what they did after that. We don't know what Peter and John did. We don't know what they did that day or on Saturday. But John tells us that early Sunday morning, they were awakened by a, a banging at the door, a, a pounding at the door, and they thought, maybe it's the Romans, but then they remembered the Romans, they don't knock. But it was Mary. Mary Magdalene, the one that, that Jesus had, had healed, the, the one that, that he had taken those demons away from. Mary Magdalene, the one who had walked and traveled and been there with him for so long. And Mary was there and she was panicked. She was weeping. She was unconsolable. And she says to Peter and John, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they've laid him. She said exactly what anyone would say in that situation. The body's not there, therefore it was taken. And we know that we put him there, but we don't know where the people that have taken him have put him. And I am distressed. A missing body normally meant that there were people that had robbed the grave. So Peter... He went out with the other disciple. Hint, it's John. He went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them, they weren't sauntering. They were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. And I think, honestly, as John's writing this down, he chuckles a little bit, remembering the events of the day. Remembering his interactions that he had with Peter over the course of the ministry that they have done together, knowing that Peter was always the one to be there first. But, oh, no, 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 <laughs> not this time. Peter had lost the foot race. He had lost the race to the tomb. And John gets there, and he, he stoops, and he looks in, and he finds the linen cloths laying there, but he did not go in. And why didn't, why didn't he go in, Right? Well, it was dark. It's a tomb. I think that's all we need. Um, he records, though, an honest account of what happened. He's not looking to write himself down as a hero in this story. 
But then he says, then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. Peter didn't stop. He didn't pause. He just went straight in because he's Peter. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. He saw them laying there in the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. He saw it all, not laying, though, with the, lint, with the cloths there. It was set aside, folded up in a place by itself. Listen, if there were thieves, they wouldn't have taken the time to unwrap the body. John, he finally gains the courage to step inside. And he says, the disciple, did I say that I got there first? He also went in. And John saw. And John not only saw, he believed. And in that moment, after he, he, his eyes adjusted to what was going on inside the tomb and he stepped inside, it changed his entire life. It changed absolutely everything. And in that moment, in that moment, it just starts coming and flooding back over him. In that moment, every moment, every time that they went with Jesus and heard him teach and heard the things that he said, it came washing over everything that he said. It was true. The scriptures say that John and the others, they saw Jesus alive and well and, and talking and interacting with people several times. And John records many of the conversations, but I want us to look at one particularly important conversation that John had. It's found in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 27. It says, now Thomas, we know Thomas, right? Now Thomas, he was one of the twelve. He was not with them when Jesus came. He was not with them when Jesus appeared the first time to the, to the disciples. He wasn't among them. We don't know where he was, but I have an idea. I figured that once Jesus had died on the cross, there was no reason for him to stick around. He had to figure out, what am I going to do? How am I going to provide for my future? Because he thought, as they all did, that it was over. So the other disciples, they told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails. He said, listen, um, Peter, I heard that John won, but Peter, before I jump in, to what you're having to say. Because, Peter, you're always the first to jump in. You're always the one to just kind of, kind of move past any detail. Peter, I love you, bud, but I don't know. And John, John, I've walked so far with you. But I saw the very same death that you did. Do you remember? Do you remember that he said, take care of my mom? Why would he say that if he wasn't going away? 
I saw him die the very same way you did. He said, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, guys, I'm not going to believe it. And to be honest, who would blame him? Because from, from our experience, truly is that dead people stay dead. And we, we can trust the things that we can quantify, right? That's, that's the way we live our lives. We can trust what we can see. We can trust the things that we can feel, that we can, that we can touch, that we can interact with. We can trust those things. But here they are telling Thomas these things. And he said, guys... I love you, but I think you're out of your mind. But he decides to hang out with them anyway. He says, eight days later, eight days later, the disciples were inside again. But this time Thomas was with them. Eight days later from the time that Thomas heard that they had seen the risen Lord, the guys are still telling these unbelievable stories about Jesus being back, the things that he's doing, the people he's appeared to. And Thomas, he may be more resistant now than he had ever been. But John says the doors, they were locked. They were locked. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And in that moment, Thomas had to come to grips with what he was seeing. So Jesus says to Thomas, hey, put your finger here. See my hands? Put your hand right here. See my side? Put it in there. And then Jesus encourages Thomas with words, with words that will speak to our hearts and our minds all these years later, Jesus, looking into the eyes of Thomas, says, do not disbelieve, but believe. He says, Thomas, it's time to stop doubting. Thomas, don't doubt, believe. And while we're at it, Thomas, let me just tell you something. Um, don't let them saddle you with this whole doubting Thomas thing, okay? Because they all doubted. They all had their moments where they did not believe. Thomas, I've given you everything that you need. I've given you all that you need to believe. To which Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, and Jesus answered and said, have you believed because you have seen me? Have you just believed because you have seen me? And are you ready for this? Jesus. Jesus looks, looks beyond the immediate context, looks, looks beyond the immediate moment and knowing knowing that later John would write down this account, knowing that it would be repeated generation after generation with you in mind, with me in mind, he says this. He says, blessed are those who have seen, who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you. Blessed are you who have believed because of the testimony of people like John. Blessed are you to believe because of the testimony of people like Paul, like Matthew, like James. And so John closes his account with an invitation. He closes his account with a simple invitation for us to believe and to trust. To believe and to trust while we cannot see. To believe and to trust when we did not walk there. To believe and to trust when we, we had no idea. Because we weren't an eyewitness. We weren't the ones that saw it firsthand. We weren't the same as John, as Peter, as James. We weren't the same. We didn't walk those roads. We didn't look into those eyes. We didn't feel his presence. But Jesus, but Jesus, John says, did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. John's like, you know, guys, I I don't know. I mean, you wouldn't believe all the things that we saw him do. You wouldn't believe all the stories of how he interacted with people. You wouldn't believe the stories. And we've only put down a few. But Jesus did so many amazing things. You wouldn't wouldn't be able to even understand the fullness of his presence. How in a moment you could look in his eyes and you knew that he knew that you knew that he knew what you were thinking. That he knew that you had doubts, that he knew that you would struggle, that he knew that you needed his presence and his power. John said, you guys don't know. There were so many things. There were so many interactions. There's so much going on with this man. It's, it's, like, it's like he was love. He was the embodiment of Love And he did so many different signs, so many different things in our presence. And they're not written in this book because I'm pretty sure that if we wrote them, it would take so much paper. It would take so much time to write it down. And and we can't write it all. But John says, I've written this. I've written these so that you may believe. That Jesus, that he's the Christ. That he is the son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So why? Why would John say this? Because what happened that Sunday morning what happened that day, it, it sealed, it, it punctuated, it authenticated, it made it all so real. It authenticated the promise, it authenticated the new covenant, it, it authenticated everything that Jesus said. It sealed the deal. And it's John thanks on that. He's like, I've given you everything that you need so that you may have life. 
that you'd have it in his name. Jesus. Jesus' buried body. I don't know how it happened. But John says his buried body began to breathe. And out, out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. And that's why we're here. So I don't want you to leave today if you have not wrestled to the ground. The most important question you will ever answer in your life, the question of who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is he to me? Have you come to a place of belief in Jesus as the Son of God, as the Christ, as Messiah, as the one who came to bear your sin? Have you placed your belief, your faith in him so that you may have life in his name? Don't leave without wrestling to the ground this question. Don't wait. Don't stop. Don't try to say, you know what? I'll make that decision when I understand a little bit more, when I understand everything. Listen, you don't need to understand it all to believe and to follow. Listen, I've been doing this for a long time, and I still have questions. And you will always have questions. Sometimes we find the answers that we long for on the journey. But don't let doubt stop you. Don't let doubt prevent you from fully answering the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? Today, today should be the day that you fully, with all of your heart, with everything within you, that you answer that question. Who is Jesus? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we can't even begin to, to explain. God, we can't even begin to explain how much the resurrection, how it changed everything. But God, more than that, as we look into our own hearts and our minds, God, if we cannot say that the resurrection has changed me, it's changed everything, the way I view the world, the way I view you, the way I view repentance, the way I view sin, God, the way that I view every bit of my human experience. If we can't say that Jesus is at the center and Jesus is the one that gives me life and I have it in his name, then God, I pray that today is the day that we make that wrestle to the ground. God, that we would know for sure that we believe not just because we've read it, but we believe because there are people that have testified that they saw, that they believed, and they recorded it so that we could have life in the name of Jesus, the only name that saves. 
So, Father, for those that are wrestling in that, I pray, Lord, that you give them the space and the time and the ability to wrestle that to the ground, Father, that you press in on them that they would make the answer to the most important question of their lives. And, God, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified through it. Father, for those that have been coming to church for such a long time, I pray, Lord, that you renew their passion. And, God, that they live every day answering that question, who is Jesus? They say, Jesus is my King. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Jesus is the author, the perfecter. He is the sustainer of my life. Jesus is the one whom I cling to. Jesus is the only one who takes away my sin. Jesus is the power for living. He's the power of repentance. He's the power that drives my eternity. And God, we claim the hope that is in the resurrection. And we celebrate the fact that he is risen. He is risen indeed. It's in Jesus' name.